podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. Now look back at the second day's play in the LV Insurance Test Series. Second test between England and New Zealand, of course, at Edgebaston. And it was a bad day for England, especially the second session where no wickets fell for the England bowlers. Actually, I suppose in a way, Simon, the high point of, of the day really was when England batted because they resumed on 250-odd for, for seven. And you thought Dan Lawrence would have to try and manipulate uh, the runs and that the tail would kind of wag maybe at the other end but in fact all the runs came from Mark Wood and we've been saying for quite some time this guy can bat in fact he used to be a batsman and today well, he said in our it. virtual cricket club I, I used to be a batsman who bowled medium pace um, you know he's gone away from that now in his career yeah I think the best bits for England today came at the start of the day and then right at the end with Dan Lawrence getting that wicket I mean, it was a really important wicket for him for England well, it's gotten back in the test match, I'm not sure. The new ball is not far away. But it was a really sort of hard-nosed, sort of solid, professional day from New Zealand, in a way, showing England the way after their you know, frittering away of wickets yesterday. And it's given New Zealand a decent chance in this test match. It's amazing, guys. We looked at that, that graphic last night, the, the who's winning graphic. And I have to say, I was a bit surprised that, that England were so far ahead in terms of percentage win chance. And it's completely turned around on this second day. Uh, those of you who are listening to the podcast, yes. we can explain it to you now. Those who are watching this uh, can see it with New Zealand um, you know, quite well ahead after the second day. And that, I think, is totally reflected by the scores. England 303, New Zealand 229 for three at the close. Yeah. And uh, actually, uh, you can see on, on the graphic here with the crossover point with England at sort of 60% chance of winning at the start of the day. And by the time that the Kiwis had got to around about 150 for two, the, uh, the England blue line was plummeting and the New Zealand black line was climbing. And they crossed over at around that point, about the third or fourth hour, sort of mid-afternoon when... England uh, had a fruitless afternoon, no wickets taken. I have to say, actually, Stuart Broad, I thought, deserved at least a couple of wickets. I mean, he bowled absolutely superbly, but the rest looked relatively innocuous, bar some, some hostile stuff from, from Mark Wood near the end of the day. But you can just see that on that graphic there, the New Zealand uh, lead and in terms of uh, the chance of winning, really climbing to, to almost 60% just before the end of the day and then dipping slightly with that final wicket from Dan Lawrence just uh, slightly denting their, their their aspirations, but still putting them in a great position. And the draw, well, the, the, the least likely of the three outcomes. But England, with a lot of work to do to get back into, into the positives. What about so one of the big talking points of the day, the, the low catch? I mean, there were two big moments for England, uh, really, on the, on the second day, in, in terms of what might have been. You know, one was the, the Will Young drop catch by Joe Root. He made seven. He'd made seven at the time. He went on to make 82 and he sort of held England up as well. You know, he sapped their energy. Drop on seven by Joe Root at slip. I mean, it was one of those really, you've, you know, it was, it was as slip catches go and they're never easy, are they, slip catches? But as slip catches go, it really should have been taken. And then 
the other talking point that the low catch given uh, by Conway when he'd made 22 off Stuart Broad. You mentioned Stuart Broad. I thought he was absolutely superb. Excellent, excellent figures as well. You know, and, yeah, and quick yeah, pace yeah. as well. You know, he's bowling at 80, 88, yeah. 87, 88 miles an hour. I think he's bowled the quickest he's bowled for about yeah, five he, years. He, he was good Amazing. today. How, how did you view the low catch? One way I didn't view it was Michael Goff's um, view of it, the, the third umpire, because we hear the third umpire now. He said, it's clearly touched the ground. Well, I, I thought anything mm. but. I, I would, I, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a really difficult decision. And sometimes, you know, the, the TV umpire is in a difficult position. You look, you look at it and you think, is this out? Is this not out? I'm really not sure. There was one in the winter. I think there was a, uh, there, there was one in the winter. I, can't, I actually can't remember the specific incident, but I remember thinking this is as hard a third umpiring decision as I've ever seen. It might be for a short leg catch. Anyway, but, but and th- this one was was not dissimilar in a way. I, I, my my instinct uh, told me it was out. Not not because I'm English, just because I thought that Crawley. I thought it was a really good catch by Crawley to get his fingers underneath it. Could you give him out? Possibly not. That, I mean, that that's the thing, isn't it? it was, for the, for the, the third umpire to say, categorically, that's out. There might have been a little bit of doubt there. Personally, I thought it was out. It, you know, it, it probably would have felt like a brave decision to give it out. But it's clearly touched the ground. No, I don't think clearly touched the ground came into it. It didn't clearly touch the ground at all. No. You, you know, sometimes as, as a TV umpire, you're on the spot, aren't you? You know, you're having to say something. I, I thought mu- a much better from Michael Goff would be, you know, I'm really, I'm really not sure there. It, it, it might be a clean catch. It, it might have touched the ground. Whether you're allowed to say that, whether there's protocols that govern that, I'm not sure. But, you know, possibly not, because you know, as an umpire, you're supposed to be sort of definitive, aren't you? But you know, I thought that would have been a better thing to say. You know, and say, well, look, I can't mm. on the evidence. It, it might be out, but I can't really condemn him on that. But clearly, touched the ground. No, didn't didn't agree with that at all. I, I think the problem Goff had was that the soft signal. Yeah on the field yeah. was not out. And I don't know how they knew no. that. I, I really don't know how either Richard Kettlebell or Richard Lillingworth could really say, oh, uh, he, that didn't carry. They were quite a long way away from it. He was at third slip. It was probably 20 yards from the bat. So they were like 40 yards away. I don't know how they could have been sure. I thought it looked like a clean catch initially. And then even the slow-mo replays showed that it could have been a clean catch. It didn't definitively show that it was definitely touching mm. the ground. Uh, but unfortunately, because they'd already said not out, he had to go. The Michael Goff, the third umpire, had to go with that overall decision with, with him sort of being slightly uncertain. And, I mean, a couple of other things to say about it, really. I, I mean, I think it's a real shame when those catches are not given because, in, in actual fact, the force of the ball into the hand puts the, pushes the hand down. So, you know, that in the end, that the hand probably does touch the grass, but you can't necessarily tell if the ball between the hands... I mean. If, if I take a ball here like that, I suppose, you know, the ball, maybe that tiny bit of the ball there between the fingers might have touched the grass, but it might not. So, you know, it's incredibly difficult to tell. And I just wonder whether they actually the slips were too far back because there was an edge later on which didn't carry to James That's Bracic, right. yeah. a, a keeper. And he was taking quite a few fairly low. So I wonder if, you know, his sort of lack of experience meant... All the slips were, were judging their position on him, and they're yeah. all too deep. Uh, if Crawley had been up a, 
a foot or two, that would have yeah, been... Yeah, it was a really strange incident, that um, the, the bracy one that was edged through to him. Because it, 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 didn't, it didn't look like a slower ball or anything like that. It just looked like a regulation ball, to me anyway. And he nicked it and it didn't carry. It was a, it was a really odd one. Anyway, maybe that he was, he was a bit deep. I mean, this is not to, you know, this is not to condemn Michael Goff. It was, it was, a, tr- it was a really tricky decision uh, to make. But to, I think to say it's clearly touched the ground... I, I didn't, you know, to me, I, I didn't see that at all. I think, you know, a lot of people who, who saw that incident felt it was out. Uh, even Simon Dool as well, who, you know, very fair-minded New Zealand commentator, yeah. thought it was out. You know, anyone yeah. who's played the game will know that was out, I think was his, was his comment. Uh, and my instinct was that it, it was out as well. But and it, there we go. So the umpires have got to make the decisions. I think they've got to give the, more of those out, actually, because otherwise, you, you, you know, you're going to be sort of saying, well, maybe one tiny blade of grass might have just brushed the ball if there's any kind of hint of doubt it's not out and you know those ones where the fielder does obviously get his hands under the ball I think should be given out even if you know a tiny bit of the ball maybe was just scratching the grass you can't really prove it so uh, it's frustrating anyway and of course it was the key wicket of of Devon Conway who, who played again absolutely immaculate innings it was a major surprise when he was out, caught clipping the ball to. Well, he was caught Crawley ball broad in the end, player. wasn't he? Just, just not the, not the, not yes. the time when England yes, wanted quite, it to be. That's true. Um, if it happened yeah. three hours earlier, they'd have been, they'd have been a much better position. It was a strange old dismissal, wasn't it, Conway? Because you know he was playing so well, he looked really solid again. Apart from that incident, yeah, he looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think he looks mm. fantastic. There is that tiny little chink of getting him out with the ball from round the wicket that just can wriggle through a tiny, tiny gap between bat and pad, and he was out like that at Lord's. But, I mean, I don't see any other weakness. And, and he just looks mm. so confident. And his positioning, his balance, his fluency, you know, he's good to watch. I mean, he's, he's just got this fantastic all-round game. What, what yeah, I mean, it felt like quite a hard-nosed decision by New Zealand to jettison Tom Blundell for the, for the first test and bring Conway in. But I, I, I think I've said this before on this podcast, you know, when we were in New Zealand last time, when it, when it was 16 months ago, um, a lot of people were talking about it. There was this name around, Devon Conway. Devon Conway, you know, they, they were sort of waiting for him to, to qualify and he was scoring loads of runs in domestic cricket. And, you know, They've given as soon as he has got the qualify, they've they've sort of got him in there, uh, right at the top of the order, and, he, and he's looked so good so far. And he's he's one of the reasons why New Zealand are right up in that that graphic of yours, the the who's winning graphic. I mean, he still could go you know any which way, couldn't it? From here, you could you new balls not far away, but I think one of the worrying things for for England today, and they they are going to play on these flat pitches. That that's the plan anyway. Well, that you know we'll see what happens when the, when India uh, turn up later in the summer. I think the because they're preparing for Australia, they know that pitches in Australia don't give you much, don't give much to the bowlers. They want to play on these sorts of surfaces, but the attack looked pretty toothless today. I thought. I mean, Broad Broad bowled really well. Stone and Wood, you know, between them, I mean, it's probably unfair to combine their two mm. figures together, but they are the sort of first and second change. Nought for 101 from. 29 over Stone. You know, to be fair, did have that catch drop. Didn't didn't have a great day out. I didn't think on it on his home ground. And, and Mark mm. Wood couldn't. He just couldn't seem to get much going today, could no. he? No, no. I I, I don't think. I, I mean, whether the selection of this side was influenced by the, the, the sort of worry about Craig Overton's. Uh, historical yeah. past in yeah. social media yeah. terms or whatever, I, I don't know. But I feel they did get the selection wrong because I don't think those sorts of bowlers... And uh, Mark Wood is similar to Darren Goff. And I remember Goffy. You remember that uh, uh, Ashes Test match? I think it was 97. 
when uh, Michael Slater, it might have been 2001, when Michael Slater took him for sort of 14 off the first over of an Ashes test mm. at, at Edgbaston. Skiddy bowlers generally are not that effective at, at Edgbaston. It's more the guys that can really nibble the ball around and hit the pitch quite hard. And the, the ones that are a slightly more round arm or slingy uh, just don't uh, are not as effective. So uh, to have Stone and Wood in the same side to me was just... Uh, a strange selection, actually. Also, it's, it, it it seems to go away from something that Chris Silverwood said in an interview with me is way way back when, actually, in South Africa, where he said, you know, we want to have uh, wood, stone, and archer, uh, you know, as our, you know, high high paced bowlers. That you know, one of them that we can sort of drop in, almost almost rotate them. So, I mean, of course, you, you know, you could have a situation where archer and wood play together. Um, but I, yeah, I agree with you. Wood, wood and stone together was a you know, it was a slightly surprising choice. It, it may be to do with the fact that well, I, we were talking about this yesterday, weren't we? That stone was you know last out, first back in because he did play in the winter and he didn't he, you know, he bowled well in that one Test match in India. It is his home ground as well. Um, but you, you they're not I mean they're not identical sorts of bowlers, are they? But they're the, they're the sort of high pace bowlers. Uh, nothing wrong with having two quick bowlers mm. in your side, of course. Anyway, the point is. On a flattish pitch today, uh, well, it looked, it looked good actually, didn't it? They, you know, they were not particularly effective. They d- didn't really look like you know, running through New Zealand, putting much pressure on them. I mean, Stone went for for runs, didn't he? So, uh, you know, all all round a tough day for England. Of course, they could have done with a spinner, I think, as well. Uh, Maybe that Patel gets in the game in the the third innings of the match, especially if New Zealand have a you know a useful or even a, p- a punishing lead. This podcast is now in association with LV Insurance, who of course are the sponsors of both the Test Series and also the County Championship. And today we're profiling Barnsley Woolly Miners CC, who have received a grant from LV General Insurance and ECB's £1 million hashtag funds for runs community initiative to run a free cricket camp for children in Barnsley Town Centre to give kids from the town, which was hit particularly hard by the pandemic, something to look forward to as we enter the summer holidays. With high areas of deprivation, giving the community a free chance to take part in sport will help deliver a lasting positive impact. That, of course, is the town of both Geoffrey uh, Boycott and also Darren Goff. The cricket camp will run from 10am to 3pm and the funding will help pay two qualified coaches alongside volunteers to run the camp two days a week for the entirety of the six-week summer holiday. Access to sport will help to improve mental and physical well-being for children coming out of the pandemic. Healthy snacks and nutritional lunches will be available for the children with the help of funding, as well as a mental well-being professional on hand for a drop-in centre for parents. Uh, Sounds like a great day, actually. I, I, I fancy popping in there myself. I need a bit of mental well-being help after watching England chasing leather for, for, for that middle session. But anyway, well done to LV Insurance for that initiative. You know, I used to be a coffee addict. Couldn't function without two double-strength lattes in the morning and another to follow, especially if I was going to the gym or on a cycle. It played havoc with my nervous system. Since I've discovered Mission Teas, that's all changed. I feel energised, but not hyperactive. Mission was founded by Tom Whittle on a nine-month ride through South America. His experience was transformed by the amazing properties of Argentinian teas based around the herbs yerba mate and matcha, 
renowned for their slow release of energy, and Roy Bosch, famous for its anti-inflammatory effects. Mission now produce a range of herbal teas specially designed for hydration, energy boosts, relaxation and even sleep. Numerous GB sports stars swear by them, including a number of the England cricket team and some famous footballers too. Mission teas are not only genuinely beneficial, but they're actually delicious and don't leave you with stale coffee breath or constantly needing the toilet. Honestly, I feel totally upbeat, whether in the gym, coaching the kids or recording this podcast, and I'm sleeping better as well. I highly recommend you try some. Mission are offering listeners of this podcast 20% off your first order if you go to missionuk.com and type in the code CRICKETER20, all one word, at checkout. So that's missionuk.com, use the code CRICKETER20 and enjoy. Well, it was the second day today. The bottom line is that although England looked a bit toothless, New Zealand are, I mean, they're a, they're a tough, nuggety side. And that was exemplified today by Conway and also Young. I mean, he's had to wait for his chance as well. He's pretty inexperienced in, in international terms, but he's in his late 20s. Uh, in a way, he sort of went for the Sibley approach. He's not the, he's not the same looking sort of batsman as, as Sibley, but he was prepared just to bide his time, really, really, really dig in there. And I, he must have been desperately disappointed to have been dismissed by uh, Dan Lawrence just before the close. Which, which I mean, the ball just turned a bit, and it's an indication there that um, you know there is something there for the spinner, which could be an issue uh, for England uh, later in the match. But you know, young today. I mean, no Williamson. I mean, that's a that's a big uh, shirt to fill, isn't it? Really, although Williamson's a fairly diminutive character. What I mean, you know, that that's a you know a big thing to come in at number three for New Zealand. But he he again he just he just picked up you know where Williamson had left off or, or where you know he, he fulfilled that Williamson role, didn't he? Thou shall not pass. Totally, and uh, a couple of sort of interesting stats actually uh, uh, after the end of the day. Firstly, that the, it was shown by Crickbiz that the New Zealand batsman played the ball later all of them, than the England batsmen in their first innings. And Will Young was certainly one of those. You could see him play the, that Kane Williamson sort of dead bat, defensive shot, in, in excellent positions to... Uh, I remember one really fast ball from Mark Wood, about 90 miles an hour, perfect length and line, and Young was just bang, just completely behind it. The ball went nowhere. Beautiful, orthodox defensive shot, just completely making, uh, as you say, sort of thou shalt not pass kind of approach and uh, his mate from Durham Woody couldn't couldn't yeah. get past him mm. um and uh, the experience he's had at Durham I'm sure is invaluable the other thing is uh, I think in the in the last five times that he's passed 50 he's got to 100 so he's someone who is obviously very good at converting those starts and, and doesn't give it away and that's exactly what New Zealand uh, needed uh, if we look back at the uh, the who's winning graphic again you can in actual fact see not only his impact, but also just the way that New Zealand play cricket because, you know, they started the match having lost the toss at sort of 20% chance of winning. And look at the way on the graphic that their black line has gradually worked its way up. By the the end of the first day, it was sort of about 30%. But then today, they've really worked through Will Young and through, obviously, Devon Conway as well. They've worked their way up into a position of, of, of dominance and ascendancy now. Um, and that's just through that dedication, that commitment, uh, and, and, and a load of grit as well. So, um, you know, undoubtedly, as a result, we're going to give uh, Will Young today is our winner of the In With Heart Award that's uh, sponsored by 
LV insurance. He showed plenty of heart and guts and determination and really got New Zealand into a, a strong position and deserved his 100. Uh, ironically, he's the third, or no, he's the fourth person in the game to get out or, or be left stranded in the 80s. No one's mm. gone, gone beyond that. Yeah, Dan Lawrence uh, wasn't able to go beyond it, of course, because Jimmy Anderson uh, was the last man out. Just quickly going back to the umpire, the umpires didn't really have a great day today because Anderson was given not out. And I was I was watching it and I, just, I raised my finger straight away as soon as he was hit on the pad. Um, I, I gave him out straight away. New Zealand eventually uh, reviewed it. He was then dispatched. Um, and there was also, uh, yeah, Richard Illingworth gave Ross Taylor out, LBW as well. And again, I was watching that. I thought, that's not out. That's, that's going down the leg side. And, and it was overturned. So there have been a few umpiring mistakes in this series, which, which uh, but I mean... It's a tough job, though. It is a it is a tough job. And actually, the, the umpires, um, Richard Kettleborough and, and Michael Goff and Richard Illingworth, you know, they have set very high standards. So I think what it is, it's more that we're surprised when they make these sorts of mistakes. I think that that's the point, isn't yeah. it? And there, there were a True. couple at Lords as well. Michael Goff made one uh, in one session, but actually made two in a session that were, that were overturned. They have set such high standards. They have been very good umpires. So it's, it's a surprise, I think, that some of the decisions that were made today. Um, Dan Lawrence got that wicket of, of Will Young just before the close. This is one of my... It's a minor bug... In a way, it's a minor bugbear. But one thing I've never understood about cricket is when you take a wicket in the final over of the day, why is that the end of the day's play? The, the next uh, batter should be made to come in. You, you've just created some pressure on, a, on an opposition side. We hadn't reached half past six. And, and, and we have a si situation where... Um, you know, the, the night uh, watchman presumably is Wagner. Why, why doesn't he come into bat? Why, why are three balls or whatever it was knocked off the day's play? I think that there's that moment of drama and the, the batter has to come in. Anyway, it's just a very small thing. I think he's a real hangover. Send, was send your letter into the Cricketer magazine and we'll see what we can <laughs> well, do about it, all right? I, I think I need to send it to the ICC. Or, you know, they're, they're the ones that sort of do or the you, regulations. You send it to or the, the, the MCC. And we'll send it to the ICC. Uh, or, okay. Well, I am the MCC. Do you know there was, <laughs> yeah. a, there was a great And the Cricketer. In... You're the Cricketer and the MCC. <laughs> Do you know one day you're with the ICC great, as well. There was a great moment in uh, in the, a, a one day international between India and England at Lords about two two or three years ago. Dhoni was actually it was that game when Dhoni just couldn't get going. At yeah, all. yeah. He finished up yeah. sort of sixty not out, and they were about forty short at the end. And I was sat in a, in a hot uh, tavern stand chatting to some mates uh, for a little bit, and then uh, my mobile phone, which I thought was on silent, went and it rang, and I answered it. Uh, quickly, quite tried to be quite quiet, and somebody uh, in in the next row behind said, "You're not allowed to uh, answer your phone in the stand at Lords. I'm going to report you to the committee." <laughs> I said, "I am the committee." <laughs> well, yeah, part of anyway. Did that? Did that? So that did that? Shut that him up. Did that silence him? Yeah, that shut him up. Yeah. Mm. I, I, you know, just this is a slight digression, but it, it's one of those sort of bizarre stories talking about answering mobile phones. I, I was in in the theatre. Uh, two or three years ago, you know, when we were allowed to go to the theatre, and there was a bloke sitting next to me who answered his mobile phone during the play. I was, I was, actually, I was genuinely, genuinely astonished that that someone could be so unaware of the, of, of everyone around him. And you know, you know, at least okay, at least just go out the, you know, pop off the end of the row and go out the back and and answer it. Just absolutely astonishing it's anyway, a curse it's the curse yeah. of modern life yeah. mobile well, talk, phones, but really. talking about talking about outrageous things did you see 
well, Shakib Al Hassan today in the in the Dhaka Premier League, an extraordinary well d- double incident really, just kicking kicking the stumps over uh, when the umpire gave a, a not out decision, and then when the umpires took them off for rain, and and actually his team were ahead on Duckworth Lewis, then picking up all three stumps and throwing them onto the floor. It was an ex- honestly, isn't it? And I'm sure lots of people listening to this will have seen it on social media. Absolutely extraordinary. He has apologised, but you do, have, uh, one, you do wonder why Why was he ticking so much that he was Overexcited after a year out of the game. Well, I, that's what it I, is. Well, I mean, he had, yeah, he was banned for, for a year. For, for an, um, so watch out Ollie activities. Robinson. Watch out Ollie Robinson when he comes back. Maybe, maybe well, he'll start um, throwing stumps. Uh, uh, well, uh, anyway, it was an absolutely ex- ex- extraordinary moment. One of those that, you, you know, really makes you sort of sit up. And, have I just really witnessed that from a, a, a player who's, well, captained his country, you know, ex- vastly experienced international cricketer in a, in a DACA Premier League match? Anyway, Actually, it, it was interesting that, that in Mike Breed's famous book, The Art of Captaincy, there is a picture in there of the famous moment when Michael Holding mm. refused a decision against New Zealand in New Zealand, mm. uh, kicked two stumps out of the ground in fury. And Mike Breeley's comment underneath in the picture itself said uh, it was a regrettable incident, but only Michael Holding could have made it look so graceful because the stumps are sort of flying out and his arm, he, he, he looks like he's doing a sort of yoga pose or something with his one leg almost uh, parallel to the ground. It is quite, it's almost like a balletic kind of picture. Uh, I, was, I was talking to Jeremy Coney about this uh, last week, and he, he was just saying, you know, a lot. The West Indies had these fast bowlers, and New Zealand umpires, generally, you know, were club umpires. They were, they were just not used to this sort of quality pace of, of bowling and, and you know the reaction speed. Uh, but I mean, it's a b- bizarre incident. I actually saw it back today. John Parker gloving it to to the keeper, given not out. <laughs> I mean, the New Zealand commentator said, "Yeah, he, it looked as if he he gloved that." And of course, you know, Michael, Michael did what he did, and there was that famous um, picture. Um, just, just while we're talking about West Indies fast bowling, we're moving towards the end of this uh, podcast. This review of the second day. Just a little note about um, I don't know if you if you've come across him, Jaden Seals, nineteen-year-old Trinidadian uh, pace bowler, making his debut for West Indies in the Test match against South Africa. Um, they're up against it, but. Uh, uh, he, he's in the West Indies side after one first-class match, and I, I saw a little bit of. Him. Not, I haven't seen a huge amount of him, but you can you can see why. Um, he, he's one to keep an eye on. He's only 19 years of age. He's got something about him, Jaden Seals. Don't you love that? Don't you love that? Mm, that yeah. You know, some countries will pick a player mm. who's hardly ever played a, a first-class game. I mean, I love the way Australia did it with David Warner, mm. actually, right, right, way, way back, and. Uh, you know, it, Sri Lanka do it sometimes, don't they? West Indies do it, India occasionally. It just it's great throwing a, a player in with no experience, and sometimes they come good, don't they? Straight away. Yeah. I mean, look at Alistair Cook. Alistair Cook flown from West Indies uh, in an A tour to play in India, scores a hundred and sixty on his first test appearance, and you know, age twenty one. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, he's someone to keep an eye on, and that's encouraging for West yeah. Indies. They they well, they're prepared to put someone like that in, and the fact that they've got some yeah, you know, someone like that with that that talent that he's, he's picked up wickets as well. Well, England need a, a bowler mm. like that in the morning. They got uh, a new ball, uh, three, three overs, about three yeah. overs time, and they need to strike because I think if they concede a lead of more than fifty or sixty, it's going to be very hard to get back into this game. But 
there is a little bit there if they can find it, if they can hold the edges, hold the catches, maybe Bracey needs to come up to the stumps a tiny bit more to make sure those edges carry. Still England are in the game, but my goodness, they've got to bowl well. And this New Zealand side are, are made of teak, aren't they? Yep, yeah, I've been very impressed. It actually feels a little bit like that first test match in Mount Monganui where England made about 350, thought they were in the game, but New Zealand just ground them down. BJ Watling making a a double hundred. He's still to come. Oh, no, he's not. He's not playing in this test match. It's Tom Blundell uh, to come next. Um, you know, so, I mean, you, you look actually look at the lower order for New Zealand. And uh, if England could get a couple yeah, of early not wickets, that yeah, they. Uh, Dar yeah. Well, Daryl Mitchell's in at, in at seven. He's, he's made a decent start to his international uh, career. Yeah. Wagner's up at nine in this game. He's eleven in the last test match. So who knows? And, anyway, but England, yeah, they're going to need some wickets in the morning. Otherwise, New Zealand have got the prospect of. Well, I think they'd be a bit greedier than that, yours. I think they'd be looking for more than 50 or 60. Well, well of course yeah. they will. I mean, I'm just saying, if England could try and trim them to, to under a, a 50 lead, that's, yeah. uh, that's a result. It's going to be hot tomorrow. Yeah. So if they don't strike early, it's going to be a lot of leather chasing and a lot of sweaty jocks. Yeah, hot and dry. And uh, Ajaz Patel, fourth day. Third innings, mm. there might be something. Another Patel to torment there might be There might be something there for him on that uh, fourth day. Anyway, that's that's for the future. We've had two days, New Zealand going well so far, but this game, you know, you never quite know which way it's going to turn. It. Uh, you, you thought yesterday England had a reasonable day, uh, but as it's turned out, New Zealand did the job yesterday, completed it today with the ball, and then made, uh, so far, pretty much the most of their opportunity with the bat. Sports Social Podcast Network.